Well, I'm glad you're here. We're a little spread out. That's okay. I can move around (laughs) if I have to. I can even sit down if if I'm so inclined, you know, just sit down. How nice is that? Yeah, I could lay down. I could get excited, jump on the chairs and run from there to there. I used to know a, a Ukrainian preacher named Bill Bozanski. Uh, I had the privilege. What a great man of faith that man was. He's since gone on to be with the Lord. He finished his course with joy. But uh, I remember getting to sit at the table one time at a Papa Do's Cajun seafood restaurant in Dallas, Texas, and just listen to him tell stories of the miracle God was doing um, in Russia and uh, Ukraine, uh, even in the gypsy communities particularly, as he had gone. And, uh, but it's one thing to hear him explain these things. He explains them very calmly over dinner. And then you see the man preach. And every time he'd preach, like he would, he'd actually get on the, on the tops of the chairs and preach. Like it was amazing. Even, even in the, into his 80s, he would do it. So, you know, you never know. We might do that. But anyways, don't, don't, uh, don't worry about me. If you sit there, it's okay. Don't, don't think, well, I'm taking up the jumping space. Just find a good seat, you know. I want you to open your Bibles to the book of Acts. We've been going through the book of Acts, verse by verse, chapter by chapter. Isn't it wonderful to see the journey that the church took in its early days? Knowing that this may have been the record of the early church, but as I said before, the early church is not a different church. It's just the early part of this church, right? The early church not a, is not a different dispensation of the, of the grace of God. It's not a different uh, time. I mean, it's a different time in history for sure. But they're under the same new covenant with the same Holy Spirit that we have today. So sometimes you can read that and you go, well, they're superheroes. They're, they're just not... We can't expect to have, have the kind of boldness that they had. We can't expect to see God moving in such a way. And that's just not true. The early church was exciting, and and it was a time of the initial expansion of the gospel, but it's still the church. It's still the Holy Spirit. It's the same Jesus working in it. Amen? Amen. So when we see it, we've come upon Acts chapter 5, and uh, some of you might have wished you'd stayed home. Acts chapter 5, oh no. (laughs) Acts chapter 5 is when those two people dropped dead in church. I'd rather not talk about that. (laughs) I give you my guarantee tonight, no one will drop dead, and we're good. You're all going to walk out those doors, all right? (laughs) Pick up where we left off. In Acts chapter 4, there was a great prayer prayed to God. The prayer was, Lord, give us boldness to speak your word clearly with boldness as it ought to be spoke. Lord, extend your hand to heal and do signs and wonders and mighty deeds through the name of your servant, Jesus Christ. He did exactly that. Did miracles, did mighty deeds. When they prayed that prayer, the Bible says the place that they were praying in was shaken. Can you imagine being in that room? These are some of the new converts and then some of the core group that were actually there on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came, filled them up, and they began to speak with other tongues and all those things. You know they were filled with the Holy Spirit, baptized in the Holy Spirit. And yet two chapters later, it says they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And we might say, well, that already happened. It was a one-time thing. Didn't need to happen again. The one-time thing was them being baptized in the Holy Spirit. But what they needed and what we all need is to be filled up with the Holy Spirit. Because you saw what happened. Peter and John saw a miracle happen at the gates of the temple. They got in trouble because the Sadducees and the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the time, didn't want to see somebody, you know, doing all these miracles in the name of a guy that they had just crucified. And so they put him on trial. They couldn't do anything to him. 
Because the whole crowd just saw a man who'd been lame for 40 years. They saw him get healed. So they couldn't publicly do anything to these people at that time. But what they did do was they threatened them. They said, don't you dare ever speak in that name again. And what we see is Peter and John leave. And we might think Peter and John are superhuman. They are just, nothing shakes those guys. But you notice what they ask when they get back? They say, let's pray. And they lifted their voices to God that God would take note of those threats and that God would grant that they would speak the word with boldness. Now that tells me that after being threatened, they felt like you and I might have felt. They might have felt a little bit shaken. But when they prayed and asked for boldness, God granted them boldness, and the way he did it was filling them once again with the Holy Spirit. That means, guys, if you're filled with the Holy Spirit, there's a boldness that you didn't have before. I don't care if shyness is part of your nature. I don't care if you're quiet by nature. God created some to be quiet by nature. That's not a bad thing. But quiet doesn't mean timid. And loud doesn't necessarily mean bold. And so there's a boldness that comes from God. And whether you're a quiet person naturally, an introvert, extrovert, it doesn't matter. When you get filled with the Holy Spirit, there's a boldness to say what the Lord tells you to say. There's a boldness to do what the Lord tells you to do. Amen. After they prayed that prayer, the Bible says that great grace was on them all. And one of the evidences of that grace was not just the miracles that were taking place, but the fact that if anybody had any needs, these guys were selling stuff off so that they could meet everybody's needs in the church. They were taking care of each other. It says because of that move of the Holy Spirit, because of that grace of God, nobody even counted anything that was his own. They said, if I own it, it's ours. It says there was not one needy person among them. Isn't that amazing? Not one needy person among them. And like we said before, you know that that's not just plain old communism because communism historically has created a lot of needy people. But in this case, not one needy person. God met their needs and they, God used them to meet each other's needs. This, this is a wonderful thing. They're taking care of. They're saying we're a body. We're one. I can't say that you need something and I have it and, and I withhold it from you. That doesn't work. So they were meeting uh, each other's needs by the grace of God. And uh, we, we left off with a guy named Barnabas who is a great figure in the New Testament. Barnabas isn't, isn't one of the 12 uh, disciples and first apostles, but Barnabas uh, plays a major role in the early church. We'll find out later that Barnabas was the one that really took hold of Saul of Tarsus, who later became Paul, introduced him to the church. When the church didn't trust this terrorist, Barnabas says you can trust him. When the uh, move of God began to happen in Antioch, Barnabas goes and gets Paul and brings him there. And so uh, guys like John Mark, when Paul wants to kick John Mark to the curb, Barnabas says, let me, let me take care of him. And they actually split. But uh, by the end of, that, by the, end of the, uh, the story, when, when Paul's writing his letter to Timothy, we find out that John Mark has become very useful. So Barnabas is a character that God has used to encourage. God has used to build up. God has used to uh, take hold of people who aren't quite there yet and bring them to a place where they are. Barnabas sells a bunch of his land. Apparently he had inherited some land and he sold a bunch of it. We find that out at the end of Acts chapter 4. It says, um, Joseph, a Levite of Cyprian birth, who was also called Barnabas by the apostles, which translated means son of encouragement, and who owned a tract of land, sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Now, I want you to know why he did that. He didn't lay it at the apostles' feet so he can say, you 12, have fun with this. Go on a trip, you know, just, just blow it. He laid it at their feet and they distributed it to whoever had need. But in Acts chapter 5, verse 1, it says, But a man named Ananias 
with his wife, Sapphira, sold a piece of property. So far, so good, right? This is what everybody's doing. They do it too. No harm, no foul yet. That's a good move. Something tells me, you know, we we try to figure out, uh, because it, it says that the believers were all of one mind. They were all saying, not one thing that I own is my own. And it talks about Barnabas. And then you notice it starts with, but... It doesn't say, and a guy named Ananias. It says, but a guy named Ananias. Now, I don't know. I'm going to be right straight up before we go any further. I'm going to be honest with you. I don't know what's going on in Ananias and Sapphira's heart before this happened. I don't know if they really believed. I don't know if they just wanted to be part of the group. I don't know if they were faking it. I don't know if they were for real. Only God knows that. I've heard some preachers get up and say it defiantly one way or the other. I'm going to be honest and humble with you as I can. And just say, I don't know what God knows. But what I do know is that when they sold that piece of property, verse 2, it says, and kept back some of the price for himself. With his wife's full knowledge and bringing a portion of it, he laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back some of the price of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not under your control? Why is it that you've conceived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. Let's stop for a moment there. What is Peter saying? Peter's telling him straight up, nobody's making you sell your property. Nobody's making you sell your property or give that amount to the church. Nobody's making, I mean, there was no rule that you had to sell everything. He said, when, it was, when you owned it, it was yours. You didn't have to sell it. And when you did sell it, you didn't, have to give all the mo- you didn't have to give all the money. Nobody told you you had to give everything. But the problem was, not that he held something back, but that he really lied about it and made it look like he was giving the full amount. So this guy sells a piece of property. He comes to the church and goes, look, here's the money from the property I sold. Could he have said... I sold some property. Here's half. I'm giving half. You think he would have been okay doing that? I think he would have. Because Peter just said, it's your land. You can do whatever you want with it. But the issue here is that you lied, not only trying to deceive the whole church, but the Holy Spirit himself. That's not cool. What are you trying to do? Well, I imagine he's trying to fit in with everybody else. He, He probably is trying to be the big shot. But here's the problem. We see at the beginning of this whole story that there's a great grace on the church. There's a great power of God. There's a move of the Spirit. There is a a, a rare purity amongst them, a white-hot purity in this church. There's the power of God moving in their midst. Now, who filled the heart of Ananias? Peter says it right there. Satan filled your heart. See, what we have here is Satan's second attempt to derail the move of God. His first attempt was to threaten them, but it didn't work. His first attempt was to use the religious leaders at the time, threaten them, make them scared, but it didn't work. It just motivated them to pray, get more fired up and move out. So Satan tries plan number two. If I can't get him from the outside, I'm going to get him from the inside. He finds somebody and he fills his heart. As you know, Satan can't just go filling somebody's heart without them letting it. Right? Right? Satan did it because that's why Peter said, why has Satan, why'd you let this happen? 
So don't think that the man's walking down the street, Ananias is whistling a nice tune, enjoying, Sapphira, isn't the Lord good? Oh, I, I would give everything to the kingdom. And all of a sudden, Satan sneaks out from a corner and jumps into him. And all of a sudden, his eyes go red and now he's filled. No, that's not what happened. Satan did what he did with everybody else. He did what he tried to do with Jesus. Temptation. Wouldn't it be good? And you know what? Satan used the same trick he used with Adam and Eve. He used the same trick he tried with Jesus in the, in the wilderness. What was that trick? Pride. With Adam and Eve, with Eve, he says, wouldn't you like to be just like God? With Jesus, he says, I'll give you the kingdoms of the world. He, uses, he tries it in three different ways. Hey, if you're really the son of God, you could probably turn this rock into bread. You could throw yourself from the top of this building and angels would catch you. Eve fell for it. Adam fell for it. Jesus didn't fall for it. What did he say to Ananias? I imagine it was something like this. Pride and greed going together. Ananias, I know you're not willing to give all that money away. But I bet... You could sell it and tell them you gave it all away. What a sad thing is about to happen. Now, it's a difficult passage for all of us because none of us like to think about the fact of somebody dropping dead. None of us like to think, because here, what do we see? We see this whole story start with God healing people, with great grace being on them all. Now, grace is more than just covering up your mistakes. Grace is the empowering work of God. And um, so, yes, the grace of God cover, you know, made up the difference when I was not good enough because none of us are. None of us were good enough. And the grace of God through Jesus Christ came. And when he died and, and took our sin and rose again, we, we who were never good enough became worthy through the righteousness of God. This is the wonderful thing. But the grace of God is also used in the Bible to talk about being empowered to do something. Uh, the grace of God, uh, the gifts of the Spirit are called workings of grace. You know, that's where we get the term uh, charismatic or, you know, things like that. It's, it's, where, it's from the word grace. And so uh, all of these things are workings of grace. The miracles were working of grace. There was, there was such a move of God amongst them. And God's healing people. God's forgiving people. You realize that the first sermons ever preached in the church were to a group of people in the city that crucified Jesus. And the first sermon says, you killed the Son of God and he's ready to take you back and fill you with his Holy Spirit. Now you can't tell me that's a vengeful God. That's a God who stands up and says, you killed the Son of God. You were the guys that just a few weeks ago cried out for his blood, and yet this promise is for you and for your children too. And yet, something happened that made Ananias and Sapphira together. Now, it's interesting because in this culture, typically the woman didn't have as much sway and often a man could just do something and the woman would have no say in it. But here the, the word of God goes out of the way to put them on equal terms and say she knew about it. She was part of the, part of the plot. Peter says, why has Satan filled your heart? Why? Actually, here's what he says. I skipped ahead with the Satan part. No, I didn't. <laughs> Verse 3, let's read it again. Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back some of the price of land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? 
Why it was, when it was, after it was sold, was it not under your control? Why is it that you've conceived this deed in your heart? You've not lied to men, but to God. As he heard these words, Ananias fell down and breathed his last. And great fear came over all who heard of it. The young men got up and covered him up. And after carrying him out, they buried him. Now, there elapsed an interval of about three hours. Now, I want to tell you, um, in that culture at that time, they did bury people quickly, but not that quickly. That's an amazing, the only time you buried somebody that quickly was uh, if it was like a suicide or a crime. And here, this was not something they were going to have a funeral about. With great sadness, I'm sure, but great fear, (laughs) they bury this guy, and in walks his wife three hours later. Not knowing what had happened, Peter responded to her, tell me whether you sold the land for such and such a price. And she said, yes, that was the price. Then Peter said to her, why is it that you've agreed together to put the spirit of the Lord to the test? Behold, the feet of those who've buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out as well. Immediately she fell at his feet and breathed her last. And the young men came in and found her dead and they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear came over the whole church and over all who had heard these things. Now, this is, a, this is a tough thing to read. Ananias' name actually means the Lord gives grace. Here's a guy who could have admitted what he did, could have just been honest, and uh, things would have been all right. But instead, he tried to lie not just to people, but to God himself, thinking, thinking he could get away with it. I want you to understand the, the stakes. What's at stake here? What's at stake here is this is a great and wonderful move of God, great expansion of the gospel. Good news is being preached to all. The worst kind of people are being forgiven. The worst kind of people are being healed. God's not picking and choosing. You don't see God saying you're not good enough. He, he picked the murderers, the ones that put Jesus on the cross. He forgave them. So this isn't about somebody being too bad. This is about the fact that Satan attempted to derail the whole move with one, in one day with one action. And here's what happened. That move of God was so pure. The church at that time was so full of the Spirit, so full of the power and the glory of God that when you introduce this willful, rebellious unrepentant sin and you put it next to the glory of God something had to give it was either going to be Ananias or the Holy Spirit now the Ananias here's the deal I believe in this time there was something there was a right judgment taking place God was judging that sin that spirit and Ananias could have released and just said you know what (laughs) I don't want anything to do with this But instead, Ananias chose, and his wife did too. She could have fessed up. She could have admitted something. She could have been honest. She could have let go of that thing. But when that, that, that's, it was either the sin or the glory of God that had to give in that case. And they chose to attach themselves to the sin. There was a spirit being judged there. And they chose to attach themselves to that spirit. They could have lived. It's a sad story because they could have lived. The glory of God was such that they lied directly to the Holy Spirit. 
Now, I, you could go and you could walk out of this, this room being just terrified that you might not wake up tomorrow. And I want you to know it's probably not going to happen. The blood of Jesus is big enough for you. It's strong enough for you. But here's the thing. Don't be fooled into thinking. Here's, the, here's what I believe is that Jesus came and he justified you. The scripture is very clear on what that justification is. That justification, just as we used to say when we were kids learning it in children's ministry, it, it makes you justif- justified never sin. That's how we used to remember the word justified, what it meant. Just as if I'd never sinned. When, when Jesus cleans you up, it doesn't matter what you did, you're clean, you're holy. But here's the deal. He justifies you. He doesn't justify what you did. We've got a choice, guys. If we really trust in the goodness of God and the grace of God, we've got to believe that there are times, here's what real repentance means. Real repentance doesn't mean you feel guilty for the rest of your life because the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 7 that true repentance leads to salvation without regret. Without regret. When you're clean, you're clean. The Bible says that he removes your sin as far as the east is from the west. He said in his covenant, and he said it in Jeremiah, he said, this is my new covenant. One of the things he said is that your sin and your lawless deeds, I will never bring up again. Wow. Here's the deal. When you repent, you've got to just say, you know what? It was what it was. It was evil. It was wrong. The stupidest thing we do is we try to say, well, you know what? It wasn't that bad. Thank God for the blood of Jesus. But it wasn't that bad. I had my reasons. You know what? Let's just get on the same side with God. Repentance means, literally in the literal Greek, repentance means a change of mind. I go from thinking that's okay to realizing it's not. Thanking God that he cleans me and that I didn't have to earn my way, that he earned it for me, that he took a mess up like me and he made me clean so I'm worthy to stand in his presence. And at the same time, I look back at the old things I used to do and I don't have to tell you that they were okay or explain my justification or my reason. I can agree with God and say it's wrong, it's evil, and it's not part of me anymore. Problem is, Ananias and Sapphira clung to the lie. Wouldn't let it go. Had this been allowed to continue, the move of God, which was continuing so strong, would have come to a screeching halt, would have been compromised, it would have ended. Could God still move? Absolutely he could have. But something big would have been lost. That was a, that, this was a major play by Satan himself. And unfortunately, two people lost their lives. Now, if they were born again, I believe they still went to heaven. If they weren't, they weren't. But it's a sad thing that they chose their lie over the grace of God. I want you to see something that happens after this. If we can move on from them for a moment. Great fear came over everybody. I would guess so. You know, you come to church a little bit differently. (laughs) You might just like, you know, if two people drop dead right here... We might kind of avoid that piece of the carpet, you know, for a while. (laughs) Church would be different, wouldn't it? (laughs) You know, I love having fun in church. I love rejoicing. I love smiling. But I also come with this knowledge that we're coming and being in the very presence of God. And that's something something awe-inspiring. And I never want to lose that awe. Never want to lose that reverence. I never want to lose that sense of the glory of God. I don't believe anybody's dropping dead here. 
But what would it be like if the sense of the presence of God was so strong and so real that you felt it when you walked in? That you knew it, that there was an awe and a reverence for God. And yes, you can rejoice. I mean, this is the thing. In the Old Testament and the New Testament, you know, specifically the Old Testament talks about uh, God looking for people that will tremble at his voice. But he's also looking for people that will delight in his word and delight in his presence. And you say, how can trembling and delight go in the same sentence? How does that work? Am I afraid or am I happy? Just think what it would be like. If I snap my fingers, I don't have this power, but if I did, I snap my fingers and you were standing in the throne room of God, what would you feel? I'd feel happy, but I'd also feel like, whoa. I wouldn't just be like, that's a pretty cool place. I like it. Hey, homie. Jesus, my homie. I got the bumper sticker, Jesus, my homie, all right? Hey, bud. How's it going? Well, in the throne room, I've read stuff about this. Those are those guys that go holy, holy, holy. They're cool. All right. Kind of weird, the eyes everywhere, yeah, but all right, cool. No, if you were there, oh, the sense of the presence of God, the reverence, you'd fall at his feet, and you would be joyful, but you'd also be, there'd, there'd be a bit of trembling too. I experienced a little bit of this. I, I, I imagine it might have seemed disrespectful. Maybe it didn't, but when my son was born, I felt that. I was shaking because it was like just, just a little bit, just a little shake. I don't know if anybody noticed it but me because this is an awesome moment and I was giggling. And I don't giggle. I'm not a giggler. I was giggling when my son was born. Tia wasn't. This was not her. Her laughter came later. Mine was there right away, you know? I, don't, I can't figure out why. I mean, we went through the same thing. I, I was there. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I remember that moment I saw Moses for the first time. And oh, I was giggling, but I was also, you know, just, oh, this is just a huge moment. And uh, I felt similar to that at times in the presence of God. Now, God is everywhere. And yet there's a, a sense of his manifest, tangible presence. And there's those moments where you stand in awe of him and you're full of joy. Right? Because the Bible says he's able to keep you from stumbling in the book of Jude and to make you stand in his presence blameless and full of joy. So there's great joy in his presence. Yet there's awe in his presence because, oh, wow, look where I am. I don't want people dropping dead. But I certainly do want more of that reverence of who God is. That reverence for his holiness, that reverence for his power, that we don't take lightly what he did for us, that we don't take lightly the fact that we can boldly, because of the blood of Jesus, not because of our own work, but because of him, boldly enter the throne of grace to find mercy and grace to help in a time of need. I want to hold that as big as it is. Here's what happens. There's great fear over everybody that heard these things. It's to be expected. But watch. See, what happened before all this happened? God was moving, people were getting healed, people were getting filled with the Spirit, people's needs were getting met, uh, poor were being taken care of, people were, were, the rich guys were selling their stuff so they could take care of the other ones. That was happening. We have a little bit of brackets here of a story that happened in the middle. A, a, an attack by the enemy to stop the whole thing, to shut it all down. Watch what happens after. At the hands of the apostles... 
Many signs and wonders were taking place among the people. And they were all with one accord in Solomon's portico. But none of the rest dared to associate with them. Do you see what's happening? A line was drawn. If you're serious, (laughs) it's just for all. It's open for all. But those that might have just kind of come along and not really believed it, all of a sudden they don't want any part of it. There's a bunch of people that aren't associating with them. It says the people held them in high esteem. Why? Because there was a power there. They didn't want to mess around with it. They didn't want to fool around with it, but they knew there was a power. They respected these guys. Now, if you read this verse and you stop there, you might think nobody else got saved and everyone was just too scared of the church, but watch what happens. It says, and all the more believers in the Lord, multitudes of men and women were constantly added to their number to such an extent that they even carried the sick out in the streets. Wow. And laid them on cots and pallets so that when Peter came by, at least a shadow might fall on any of them. Now, I want to tell you something. There was no power in the man's shadow. It's not, it's not Peter Pan and the shadow says hi and he says hi. But there was an anointing on that man. There was a, there was a grace, there was a power of God was on this man. So that if he even got close to somebody, so that's what it's talking about, the shadow falling on him. It's not the shadow itself. It was the fact that if he was close enough for his shadow to fall on them, there was just a power around one of these believers that people get healed on the street. Wow. What would you rather have? A church full of compromise or something like this? What would we rather have? I mean, I'd rather have this. I'd much rather have this. Now, we can just play our games and say, you know, it's all going to be okay in the end. And you know what? Thank God for the blood of Jesus. But let's take it seriously and realize because he shed his precious precious blood to clean us and to make us holy, and we couldn't do it on our own, and there was nothing that made us good enough. He had to do it. It's all the work of the cross. It's all the work of of Jesus' blood. It's all him. It's none of us. But let's take that and value it so much that it causes us to say, I'm not going to take it lightly. And I would rather have a church that says, I want all of him and way less of myself. And we see the power of God. Can you imagine? Oh, why not in Lloydminster? Why not here? Why not here? This is what I read the book of Acts. I find myself saying that all the time. Why not here? And you can say, oh, well, well, we don't have any of the original 12 apostles. Yeah, we don't. But... uh, I seem to remember Acts chapter 8 talks about a man named Philip. Not the Philip who was one of the disciples, but a new guy. Brand new Greek Jew who was a deacon, wasn't an apostle, wasn't one of the original 12, did not witness the resurrection of Jesus Christ, got born again like you and I, and he's seeing these same miracles take place. I seem to remember a group of of Greeks and and people from Cyprus and Cyrene come and go to the the church in Antioch, and none of the 12 were with them, and they see the hand of God. People get healed and people get saved all over the place. Why not here? Can you imagine walking down 50th Street and seeing people who you didn't even touch get healed because of the power of God so filling? And what would you rather have? church where we play games or a church where the power of God is so real? Hey guys, a church with the power of God is still going to have lots of joy. 
You know what? I mean, you read the book of Psalms. David says, in your presence, there's joy. He says, in your presence, there's there's pleasure everlasting. I'm going to tell you, if you learn to delight in the presence of God, there's more joy than you'll feel anywhere else. Jesus said, I'm giving you my glory that you may be one. And one of the other things he says, I do this so that my joy may be made full in you. What's the difference between full joy and joy that's not so full? Well, I can't tell you I've got a full definition. I'm still figuring it out. But I tell you, something about the full joy, a joy that's full in you, there's no regret to it. There's no dark lining to the silver cloud, if I can flip that around. You know, sometimes when we're happy about something, there's a downside to it. There's something that, you know, we got this at the expense of this. But the joy of the Lord is so much more than happiness. It's so rich. And that full joy It's got no sorrow with it. It's got no regret with it. Have you ever felt that? You ever felt those moments where there's just that pure joy of the Holy Spirit that you couldn't describe to anybody else? The Bible calls it joy inexpressible, full of glory. Have you ever experienced that? There's nothing that compares to that. There's nothing compares to the the pure presence of God. I would rather have that that have us all playing games and just saying, well, let's just make it to Jesus comes back. I believe this, this church, and when I say this church, I mean the church of Jesus. I don't mean this people that made you in this building. I mean all over the city and all over the nation, all over the world. I believe the church is meant to be full of glory. Amen. The Amen. glory of God, the power of God. Amen. Satan tried to derail it through a lie. Yep. He failed. Could not lie to the Holy Spirit. And the result is that miracles took place all over the city. More believers, multitudes, can you, that word multitudes is pretty cool. Multitudes, crowds and crowds of men and women were constantly, I like that word, constantly added to their number. You know, guys, there wasn't like the second church of the book of Acts meeting across the town. And and every few years, people would just shuffle from that church to that church and this church to this church. And they'd call it church growth. Church growth came from people actually getting saved. (laughs) You know, I'm looking forward to that day, amen, where every church in this city grows because people are getting born again instead of us doing the Holy Ghost shuffle and just moving people from place to place and saying we're growing. I'd much rather see people get born again and fill these churches, fill the living rooms, wherever people are meeting. I just don't care. I want them full. And man, constantly is a big word. This wasn't hype. This wasn't a flash in the pan. It was a move of God. Look what it says. To such an extent that he even carried the sick out in the streets, laid them on the cots and pallets, so when Peter came by, at least a shadow might fall on any one of them. Also the people from the cities in the vicinity of Jerusalem were coming together, bringing people who were sick or afflicted with unclean spirits. And they were, how many? They were all being healed. It's the same thing in the Gospels, isn't it? Everyone that came to Jesus got healed. In this case, everyone. Not just the the, the special ones that God picked, but every single sick person. It didn't matter what they had. didn't matter what they'd done. If they came to Jesus and and they came to the people and said, pray for me, I want to be healed. It says if they were demon-possessed, if they were sick, they were all being healed. Satan could not stop this move of God. But sides were picked. 
Lines were drawn. And you see it with those group of people that, that say, I don't want anything to do with you guys. I respect you. I don't want anything to do with you. Because until they were willing to jump in with both feet, they didn't want to have anything to do with these people because there was such a, a, a tangible power amongst them. Now, the Bible talks about in the last days, the former rain and the latter rain will come together. Seems to imply that the glory of God in the church in the last days will be greater than the glory of God in any other period of history. Let's pick right now which side we're on. Thank God for his overwhelming mercy that any of us are, are here right now. The Bible says, David said this, and this is the old covenant. This is before the blood of Jesus. He says, it's by his mercy that we're not all consumed. I find it interesting that that many people are coming to Jesus, that many people are coming to church, that many people are getting healed, and only two of them fell dead. It tells you that God wasn't just striking dirty people down. He was healing and forgiving dirty people. Ananias and Sapphira directly contradicted and lied to the Holy Spirit. And it was an attempt by Satan to shut it down and something had to give. And unfortunately, they lost their lives. But it didn't stop the move of God. Now, you can go home and you can talk to the Lord about that. You can meditate on it. You can think what you think. But I want you to walk away with the fact that when the, the greater the glory of God, the more you've got to make up your mind whose side you're on. Whether you'd rather be a compromise or whether you'd rather just, just let him work through you. Let him clean you up. Guys, I want you to know that nobody in the room got born again and the next day their life was perfect. Nobody in the room. Because if God gave you a list of all the things you had to fix the first day you were saved, you would have given up right there. Said, nope, <laughs> I can't do this. Can't do it, can't do it, won't do it. Just, just kill me now. <laughs> Take me to heaven, you know, I want to put that at the end. <laughs> I've been able to observe in people's lives. I've noticed people that are just turned on to Jesus and they, they receive, they, you know, they receive Jesus, receive the Holy Spirit. And I've noticed one of the most beautiful things is that day to day, the Holy Spirit, it works on them and they're growing and they're growing. And there'll be days where they say, you know what? I all of a sudden don't want to, I don't want to do this anymore. This thing I've been doing all my life, I, 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 want to, I want to be different. I want to change. I want to let that go. And what you see is God is doing the work on them. And they're growing and they're submitting to the Lord. And, and he's cleaning them at his rate, at his pace. And he's, you know, they, when they know better, they do better. And, and God's doing it. And it's wonderful. So there's no expectation here that everybody in the room is going to be perfect. In fact, none of us are. We rely on the goodness and the grace and the mercy of God. We rely on the blood of Jesus. But when that time comes, when he says, all right, I want you to let this go. I want you to move on. Just trust him. Let it go. Choose him. Choose his word. Choose his life. And don't, you know what? When you let something go, don't go back and try to clean it up and polish it up and say it wasn't that bad. Because you know what? That's, that's still trying to make yourself righteous by your own work. Self-justifying is self-righteousness. Instead, just say, you know what? That was wrong, but it's not part of me anymore. Boy, that was, that was evil, but I'm not evil because that's been taken away from me and it's been removed by the blood of Jesus. That was put on Jesus on the cross and I don't have to pay for it. Thank God. I want to see this in Lloyd. I want to see us come to a place where 
We rejoice greatly in these times together. We rejoice greatly in the presence of God, and yet we hold God in that place of reverence and awe, that we tremble at his presence and delight in his presence. I want us to be a group of people that honor the king and yet understand that we are not slaves. We are his sons and his daughters. We've received the spirit of adoption in which we cry out, Abba, Father. And in fact, I may still call myself the bondservant of Jesus Christ, but he doesn't, I I may say I'm like a slave. I'll do whatever you want me to do. But in the same sense, he doesn't treat me like a slave. He treats me like a son. Thank God for that, amen. Love you and I want you to know, I don't want anybody to walk out of here saying, I'm afraid to go to church now. (laughs) The grace of God is big enough for you. The blood of Jesus is strong enough for you. Embrace it. But let's not play games with the Holy Spirit. Let's not think we can play both sides of the ring. Let's not say, I can do this and I can do this and they'll all work together. You know what? Let's choose our sides. Whose side are we on? Let's choose the Lord. Amen. Stand up with me. Praise God. Thank God there was a story of miracles taking place or else you'd go home and go, what'd you learn today? Both two people dying. It wasn't fun. But we had to read it because we said we're going through all the book of Acts. We couldn't skip it. God is good. It was good enough to save the church. That could have ruined the church right there. He saved it. Thank God. Lord, we... We ask for greater sense and knowledge of the glory of the Lord. That the earth would be filled, that Lloyd Minster would be filled, and the regions surrounding with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord, just as the waters cover the sea. Lord, we want all of you. Help us to make that step where we say, I'm choosing him. I'm not going to get in one foot on this side and one foot on the other side. I'm not going to fake it. I'm not going to play games. I want all of you. Lord, I know you're changing us. You're transforming us from glory to glory. I know you're taking messed up, imperfect people and making them into who you want them to be. So we present ourselves to you knowing that we're laid open before you. There's no secrets from you. There's nothing we could hide from you. So we gladly open ourselves up and say, Lord, take us as we are. May your blood take away that sin. May your grace cover us. But may your grace also transform us to be holy as you're holy, to be formed in the likeness of you, that we'd walk away being more like Christ than we ever could have imagined possible. God, we want to see miracles taking place in the streets of Lloyd. We want to see those oppressed by the devil set free. We want to see thousands and thousands coming to you even in this city. Use us, Lord, in any way that you, that you will, and we're, we're making ourselves available in Jesus' name. Amen. Love you guys. Have a great week. Remember, bring some cash on Sundays so you don't have to go over there to the ATM and come back. We're looking forward to it. God bless you.